welcome. Episode one of the Devil's Army cast. We're glad to be back. Um, today is June 1st, and I'm here with Chris, Corey, and of course, myself, James. What's Quick, up? Quick, episode one. Jersey number one. Who comes to mind? Chris? Uh, for me, it's got to be Keith Kincaid. I guess most recent one I can think of, Blockade. Most recent. Corey, throw it over to you. It could be Mike Dunham. Um, when, when's that name from? <laughs> uh, he's back from like the early mid '90s era. Uh, he played in the uh, the Albany uh, uh, River Rats. He played for the affiliate for the Devils, and then eventually he got called to New Jersey after they won the the Stanley Cup, and he backed up Marty for a couple years. But he ended up being the starter over in Nashville when they were an expansion team. Yeah, that's before my time there, man. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely back. But- yeah, but um, all right, good stuff. Yeah, for me, Moose number one, baby. I am thoroughly disappointed back, myself. Hedberg, but uh, all right, good stuff. So, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, we'll start out the episodes going on. We'll uh, jersey number history throw that guys uh, throw that at you guys. But all right, we'll give you a quick rundown on what to expect this episode. We're gonna start off with the Gary Bettman press conference, the most recent one we had. We'll discuss about that. After that, Corey will do his donuts and dynasty segment. Excited for that one. That should be good. A little devil's history thrown at you. Following that, we'll talk a little season recap of Devils. Give us, uh, give you guys who we thought was the most impressive, least impressive. Following that, we'll talk a little about the GM and head coaching search going on for the Devils. Provide you guys an update with that. Following that, we'll, uh, I'll have my own little segment on the draft prospects who the Devils should keep an eye for. And Chris will end us out with uh, COVID impact on hockey around. There's been a lot of in the news regarding that stuff. So uh, Chris will take us there. And we'll also be touching on different stuff throughout. But without further ado, let's talk about this uh, most recent press conference Gary Bettman had. Um, He had it on Tuesday. It was aired on NBC Sports Network. What he basically did, it was around 15 minutes, and he detailed the NHL's return to to play uh, plan, as well as what they're expected to do with the draft lottery. So I'll speak a little bit about the plan itself, what the NHL is going to do. 24 clubs will return to play, top 12 from East Conference, and of course, our Devils missed it by two points. Oof. Canadians edge your mouth by two points. In my opinion, I think you guys will feel the same. Devils didn't deserve it. Let's be real. I, I think it's honestly better long term for us, too, to be honest. Yeah, yep. it just, let's be real. Devils didn't deserve it, so that's okay. It doesn't hurt as much. So these top 12 teams were determined based on point percentage, and the Devils were right behind the Canadians. So, um, these teams, 12 teams each, Eastern Western Conference, they're going to be split up into two different hub cities. Bettman gave a list. He gave the following cities. Chicago, Columbus, Dallas, Edmonton, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, Pittsburgh, Toronto, and Vancouver. They're basically going to pick two cities out of these. So I didn't mention this in the beginning, but we're going to have our first ever guest on the Devil's Army cast. In-house guest, Anthony, who's going to come speak with us about this Hub City topic. So we'll take a little break, and then we'll be right back with that. All right, welcome back from our little break. We are joined here by Anthony, our in-house guest, who also, Anthony, writes for The Dab with us. He recently uh, recently wrote an article about the Hub Cities, like we were just discussing, about how Atlantic City would be a good fit. As I mentioned before, the Hub Cities that Bettman listed during his press conference are as follows. 
Chicago, Columbus, Dallas, Edmonton, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, Pittsburgh, Toronto, and Vancouver. So now we have Anthony on. I just want him to discuss a little bit about his Atlantic City article, give you guys background on that if you guys haven't read that, and also discuss what he thinks out of the Hub City list that Batman gave us, what would be the bet fit. So welcome, Anthony, and uh, let's hear what you have to say. How you guys doing tonight? Doing Good great, man. man. Doing man. great. All right, so first things first, uh, one of the reasons that I chose Atlantic City was because it seems that Atlantic City had everything that the NHL was looking for, and it would be a place of great convenience. Uh, The things that the NHL was looking for specifically are hotels, facilities for the training and for the actual games, and also Atlantic City is centrally located that pretty much anywhere within the Metropolitan Division, with the exception of perhaps the Carolina Hurricanes, is only a few-hour drive away at most. And Atlantic City also has their small Atlantic City International Airport. So if a team wanted to fly in, that was a possibility. Uh, In my article, I touched on a little bit of the background of Atlantic City because Atlantic City has a lot of hockey history. Uh, The first black player to ever sign a professional NHL contract, he never played in the NHL, but he signed the professional contract with an NHL organization, Art Dorrington signed with the Atlantic City minor league team for the New York Rangers. He never made the New York Rangers. He ended up living in Atlantic City for the rest of his life and starting a foundation to get underprivileged kids into ice hockey. So I thought that was pretty cool. The AHL also had their all-star game there a number of years ago, even though there is no AHL team in Atlantic City. There used to be an ECHL team in the early 2000s that did win the Kelly Cup the Atlantic City Boardwalk Bullies, and the All-Star Game, the ECHL team, and Art Dorrington's old team all played at Boardwalk Hall. Now it's called Jim Whelan Boardwalk Hall on the Atlantic City Boardwalk where they used to have WrestleMania in the 80s. They had a bunch of boxing fights in the 80s, and they had Miss America pageants. But that could easily be converted into an ice rink. And that's where the Albany Devils, back when the Devils would bring them down for a few games in Atlantic City, that's where they would play as well. One reason that really stood out to Atlantic City and me is the mayor of Atlantic City himself said that he was trying to convince the National Basketball Association, the NBA, to play out their season in Atlantic City for pretty much the same reasons that I thought that it would make a good NHL hub city. Uh, Atlantic City has a lot more history in hockey, a lot more experience, for lack of a better word, with hosting hockey than it does the NBA. They've only hosted two NBA games in their entire existence, and the last time they did that was a Brooklyn Nets preseason game back in 2012. Atlantic City also hosted, if you guys remember from Hurricane Sandy, it was called Operation Hattrick, where this was during the NHL lockout as well that coincided with Hurricane Sandy. It was a benefit for Hurricane Sandy, where we had Team New Jersey, which had Marty Brodeur, Andy Green, James Van Riemdijk, go against Team New York, which had the likes of Henrik Lundqvist, and that raised a bunch of money for charity as well. So all things considered... We're not going to sugarcoat it. We know Atlantic City does not have the best reputation, especially as a sports city. But that mixed with the fact that it was close to the NHL headquarters in New York and that the mayor wanted to bring in another professional sports league made it seem like the NHL might at least take a look at it. Yeah, gotcha. Um, That all sounds good. And another thing, I I don't think you mentioned it, but um, with Atlantic City – how the Binghamton De- or Albany Devils at the time yeah. had a couple games yeah. a year there, which was awesome. I enjoyed it. I know Corey 
being in Albany said it wasn't good because uh, with the season tickets and also not a lot of people showed out, but being around the area and getting the chance to see the Devils play there was uh, pretty cool. And I, Boardwalk Hall, I love it. I don't know about you guys. I've seen Temple basketball games there. I've seen basketball games there. Oh, it's a historic cool. arena. I, I think it's a great arena. I mean, it's old, but I, I think hockey was housed perfectly fine there. But no, that's all good stuff. Well, um, I appreciate you giving up With the Albany Devils going there, with the Albany Devils were losing money because uh, – especially with their uh, games that were being held in Atlantic City, for the same reason the Trenton Devils of the ECHL didn't work out. As soon as you cross that line to South Jersey, it's all Flyers fans. No one can yeah. go play to see yep. a Devils-branded team, especially a minor league team. So mm-hmm. that was part of the reason we yeah. don't have those games anymore. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah, I noticed that too when I was there. Is It was all Flyers fans. I mean, it, they just wanted to see hockey, and it was all guys rocking their Flyers sweaters, which was uh, – yeah, great. Another reason why that didn't work out. So uh, move on to the next part. Yeah, article, but uh, there is uh, an NHL regulation size rink, not an NHL rink by any means. Ice hockey training facility in Atlantic City, but it is branded to the Philadelphia Flyers. So yep, I that's saw interesting. That in article. Yep. So that was the first part of us having you on. As you talk about your AC article, which I loved, and it got a lot of love on the page too, which is great I, to see. I thought it was um, great. Second part here. Thank you. Yeah, it was. So second part here is out of the list I've said a couple times now, um, what two are your favorite? I'm assuming Las Vegas would be one. Um, but what else would be the other favorite? All right, let's get one thing out of the way first. We all know Las Vegas is going to be one of them. There is no <laughs> yep. Las yeah. Vegas is not one of them. Gary Bettman just came out and said, we got Las Vegas and nine other cities. We'll pick the second city later. Yeah, basically. Um, the NHL has had its eye on Las Vegas for over a decade now, even before the Vegas Golden Knights, there was a reason they started doing the NHL awards in Vegas. They know the city very well. They know the people running the city very well. So that's probably out of the 10 cities, one of the ones they're most comfortable with, especially because of the capacity of hotel rooms. If you had to put 15, um, just rounding, if you had to put half the league, there would definitely be enough hotel rooms for the players, for the uh, auxiliary staff, for the coaches. That's the least of the problem is hotel rooms over there. One of the things that uh, I've been looking into Las Vegas just for my own personal reasons, because I'm interested in what's going on there, is Las Vegas is doing a phased opening, which means they're not opening all the hotels at once. All the major companies are saying, like, as you know, Las Vegas might have 30 or so hotels, but they're, most of them are owned by like the same three companies. And those companies are coming out and saying like, okay, uh, when we first reopen, we're only going to open these two. And then maybe a month later, we'll open these two. So the rest of the strip is being mothballed. And the biggest operator of hotels in Las Vegas, MGM Resorts International, which is a major partner of the NHL through their betting app and through own, partial owning of the building the Golden Knights play in, yeah. is going to have all these unused hotels while the NHL is kind of putting things together. So MGM could straight up come in and say, look, we got these two hotels. No one else is staying there. No one else has booked a room yet. We haven't even unlocked the doors. We could just kind of section these off and say NHL people only, and that'll be a done deal real quick. One thing I did see as a potential problem in Las Vegas, it's a very small problem, but it's one of the things that popped in my mind is the availability of the T-Mobile Arena. And I went on their website, the only scheduled event for T-Mobile Arena that has not been postponed yet for a later date is for August 15th. So you know that uh, T-Mobile Arena will be free until August 15th at the earliest. And I'm sure the Knights and the NHL have a prioritization there in terms of scheduling right now. Well, that's the thing that I really don't know about because Prudential Center, I'm pretty sure Prudential Center is owned by the city of Newark, but it's operated by the New Jersey Devils. And the New Jersey Devils get 
first call and they, they think a priority over anything. Mm-hmm. Global Arena is owned partially by, I don't know how you pronounce it, Anschul Sports Group, AEG Sports Group, mm-hmm. uh, MGM Resorts, and a little bit by Bill Foley, I think, uh, a pr- few private investors. So they're not the owner, they're not the only people that have a stake in this. So I imagine if the Golden Knights came in and said, we want these dates because they're your main, we're your main tenant, they wouldn't have a problem, but it is something that I did think about. Yeah. As for the other cities, I think the out of the remaining nine cities, the one that would make the most sense by far, not even close, is Toronto. Because let's be real, this is hockey. It would be very beneficial to have one American hub city and one Canadian hub city. Yeah. And not only that, but you're getting yeah. And you also have your east-west there, too. That's what I was about to say. Toronto and east and Vegas in the west. The major problem that Toronto is going to have is, I believe it was Donald Greco from the Michael K. Show that said this, is right now Canada has their border restrictions that anyone coming in the country has to quarantine for, I believe it was a two-week period. Yeah, they still have very strict quarantines up there and stuff. That's the challenge. Yeah, like if you're having everyone come back and say, okay, we're coming back so we can start doing our training camps and stuff, the NHL would just want to avoid that. They're not going to say, okay, let's move up the date two weeks early to get out of the way. They'll just say, no, let's pick another date. So if they can't do Toronto because of that, that also knocks off the other Canadian cities off the list. Yeah, 100%. And to go along what you were saying with Toronto, mm-hmm. um, I've been there myself, and, I mean, they have the hotels there if they want to oh. – the, with the, where, where the arena is located and all that. Toronto's an absolutely humongous city. It's and and it's it's humongous. If you went yep, to the exactly. and said you have to build a rink for the team by hand, they would. Yeah. But um, with regarding that issue with the quarantine, I don't know what sport it was. It might have been hockey with how the training camps are going to be opening mm-hmm. up, but they got permission that they don't have to abide by the quarantine if they go from one country to another. I don't know what sport this was, but I saw this in the news somewhere. I I got to look at it and see it again, but I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere where that quarantine rule didn't have to be listened to because one of the sports leagues, but yeah. I, don't yeah. know. I consider myself an expert in some things. Uh, Canadian immigration law definitely isn't one of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, My bad. knowledge that quarantine's there, so that might be a touchy problem if the NHL's looking at Toronto. I think the best city would be Dallas, Texas, which is on the list. Dallas is, might be the oddest choice, but Dallas is also one of the friendliest states right now to the sports industry and the reopening of their economy. They were one of the first for uh, they were one of the first states to say, "Okay, we'll allow sports without fans." And then last week they said, "We'll allow sports with limited fans." Now I don't think the NHL is going to come back with fans just because everything's still going on. But if they choose Texas, they will have a substantially longer leash from the government than some of these other cities. Hundred percent. And I didn't do a lot of research on this because I knew we were having you on. Mm-hmm. But the my two city choices would be Las Vegas and Dallas, with all the reasons you just listed there, and also oh, the fact with virus cases. I'm pretty sure Dallas down south, they really haven't been affected as the other places has. I know Chicago on this list has absolutely gotten hammered by that, so mm-hmm. I think that would kick them out. But for me, it's also Dallas and Las Vegas if Toronto doesn't work out. A Canadian location as well as an American one on my list. I had uh, obviously Vegas, but also Vancouver, except on the west coast of Canada. Um, oh, from what I heard, Vancouver is doing great, and it's been considered heavily for a hub city, not just for like hockey, but for other stuff as well. One point I forgot to make about Toronto: the NHL also has their headquarters in Toronto. Their main headquarters, where Gary Bettman goes to work every day, is in New York, but their 
other headquarters is in Toronto, so they'll be right there. I can't tell you how many times yeah. I want to call Toronto in men's league. Oh, the situation room? Yep. What makes you think they'd answer? <laughs> if they did answer, what makes you think they would tell you what you want to hear? Oh, I just I just do it to give the referee a hard time. <laughs> I, love, I love when they do that at Devil Falls and they have to call Toronto and they play the Lionel Richie clip. Hello, is it yep. me? <laughs> As you they can see, I'm a good singer. All right, good stuff, boys. Um, like I said, Anthony, great having you on. Thanks I'm for sure having we'll have me. Have you on again in the near future. In the near future, but yeah, anytime, man. Have a good one. Catch up with you later. Have a nice week, guys. Thanks, appreciate it. Yep. All right, so that was an awesome conversation with Anthony. A discussion the hub cities. Um, I'm sure everyone will have different opinions, but I'll be very interested to uh, see what Bettman finally decides here in the end. So uh, we'll finish or continue the conversation about the plan that was detailed by Bettman. He described two different phases the NHL is going to go through before they're able to play. So phase one is what they're currently in. Um, phase two is supposed to happen early June. Um, clubs will return to home training facilities for small group training, kind of like a, a little pre-training camp type thing, because in phase three, they're going to open up formal training camps yeah. This step lays right before their resumption of the season. So what gets interesting here is this is not going to happen anywhere be- before July 1st. And Elliot Freeman no. actually speculated that this won't happen until at least uh, July 15th. Yeah. Which the Athletics' James Myrtle, who I believe works for Athletic Toronto, said – this could mean we don't see the Stanley Cup getting raised until late September or early October. And who knows now, what that means for the mind, draft? Yeah, of course the draft. And also keep in mind that usually season starts, preseason gets kicked off, what, mid-September? And the season yeah, kicks September. off October like 6th, 4th? Yeah. I mean, so you, what, are your, what are your guys' opinions on this? Do you do you think this is a good idea, or the NHL should just be like, you know what, screw it, scrap this, let's move on to the next next year and get this right? What do you guys think? So I think it's it's just a tough situation all around. I mean, everyone is being impacted by what's going on in a different way. Um, for the NHL, there's so many aspects of this that you have to think about, and I mean, I, I'd love to see the Stanley Cup awarded. I'd love to see like a normal regular season next year too, which is just another thing they're having to work with on top of this, which is whatever plan they come out with. How is that going to impact next season and starting that? Um, yeah, you, like we were joking around in the chat, like we might as well just change permanently change the start of every season to be like December because that's what it that's what it looks like it's going to be if if yeah. this goes until late September, early October. I mean, I just I think about it, and um, I mean, I've I've played like I said in the uh, the teaser. I've played hockey from like six years old through college, and starting probably about sophomore year in high school. Um, I used to play other sports as well, football and stuff, but that's when I really started to focus on hockey. And I basically played year round, including like in August. And that ice in August is a lot different than it is in January. Um, in terms yep. of your, your skating ability, how the puck is gonna you know react on the ice and stuff like that. Um. But then on top yeah, of that, too, to along, there's just so much more. I'll, I'll, James, go ahead. I mean, yeah, so to many go facets. along with that, with the ice difference, um, one of the club uh, hub cities, and we were talking about, I even said, and Anthony mentioned Dallas. I mean, hot weather, the Dallas. Like I mean, we saw in the Stanley Cup finals August. with Nashville. Yeah, exactly. And, and St. So Louis, that, too. 
that that's something you have to take in consideration too. The ice is a great point. I didn't even think about that. But, yeah. Um, and, and I mean, like the other thing is the NHL financially, it's, it's, it's in a situation where um, they have a TV contract coming up. So that's another thing too. Like if they don't play out this, this playoff, I mean, at, at least if there's an effort, I'm sure that helps, but you got to figure that's going to come up in negotiations, just the way business works in general. Um, you're talking about what your salary cap's going to look like next year because of the revenue for the league, how that's changing. There's just, there's so yeah. many moving parts of this that I feel like they have to have a playoff. Um, I wouldn't be opposed if they didn't, but I feel like that's why they're really trying to get it done as best as they can. Yeah, 100%. It's an extremely sticky situation in extremely just bizarre circumstances that no one was saw coming. But um, I guess me being a little biased too, since the devils aren't involved, I'd rather it just be scrapped. Um, I'm sure if I'm sitting there and I'm a blues fan or someone that's sitting first, I wouldn't see the season scrapped. But I mean, I don't know. Do you, you got, everyone has different opinions on it. Corey, you got anything to add here or we'll just move on to the next part? Uh, no, I mean, I, I honestly think like the biggest thing right now is there just needs to be closure to the season. I think there there needs to be an, an end point. I, I don't think you can just wipe away the season and say like, all right, no, we can't st- just wipe it away and start next season. There needs to be closure, especially for a lot of those teams that did finish higher up in the standings, who did put a lot of work in. And and, and even for the teams that battled back at the end and, and ended up squeaking in there. Um, I, I'm not a biggest I'm not the biggest fan of the format of what they came up with, just because I think there's a, there's a few teams that like they're they're getting kind of treated unfairly in the situation but i mean like i think the biggest thing right now is there needs to be closure of this season um i mean i'm not saying that the nhl isn't thinking about next season but i think right now the priority is getting closure for this season before they start worrying about preparing for next season um, that's, I mean, that's pretty much my only take on it. If the NHL's learned anything from lockouts, it's how to operate half a season schedule. So yeah. that part I'm yeah. not too worried about, to be honest with you. That's a great point. But uh, <laughs> going off what Corey said about how teams, some teams were treated unfairly, I know when they voted that the Carolina Hurricanes was one of two teams that uh, voted no on the proposal, mm-hmm. and yeah. which, which I thought it was interesting. But you look, there for we'll, we'll get into this in a second. But there, I, I, I guess you don't even call it first round matchup anymore. Just is against playing. the New York Rangers. Yeah, is against the New York Rangers and the Rangers. If you guys remember, <laughs> trade Brady Skija or Ski or however you say Brady Shea. Name. I think Brady Shea. Shea. Brady Shea. Yep. Yeah. It's one thing you guys are going to learn about me as we go through. I am that absolute worst at pronouncing players names i, so I mean it's gonna happen it, it yeah, took me a week to figure out walking in so yeah just just yeah, imagine so trying we'll... to just imagine trying to figure out how to pronounce them before they end up making up the nhl i remember seeing brady shea playing at hartford when he came to albany with a hartford Wolfpack, and i'm like s-k-j-e-i what the Yep, and you got that that funny skit. Um, I don't even know who does it, but that skit on YouTube that was passed around. But um, yeah, so he was traded to the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Carolina Hurricanes sent their first round pick. So imagine the Rangers walk in, beat them in a best of five series, and they own their pick. That, and it's not even wild. a hypothetical because the Rangers swept them in their season series. They won all four yep, games that's this year. Exactly what I was about to say, yeah. Yep. I was just about right, to say so, that. As we talked about, Rangers. Hurricanes, that's one of the first round matchups. Um, I'll get a little further into the the format. The top four teams in each conference, that's Boston, Tampa Bay, Washington, and Philly in the East. St. Louis, Colorado, Vegas, and Dallas in the West. 
they're going to play a round robin style kind of group play type of thing where they're each going to play each other once and their performance in this round robin play is going to determine one through four how they're seeding each conference and that is thanks to tampa that is thanks to tampa objecting to that original phase because originally they weren't going to have a round robin like that to determine those seeds tampa objected because they felt it would be an unfair advantage for them to basically not have any kind of hockey game or anything and the team that's coming in has already played some hockey games under their belt has like the feel for the game the speed and everything so that's one of the reasons we see that which which makes sense to me, honestly, and yeah. um, oh, I guess absolutely. more hockey. So more hockey. I mean, I'm sitting here. I'm I'm betting on NASCAR and KBO, and uh, more hockey the better. More stuff for me to bet on. But we'll stop talking about my gambling and move on to the uh, <laughs> the remaining no, no, but, eight but, teams in each conference. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, but you you make a point there with the with the gambling and the betting though, because like the NHL right now is slated to be one of the the first leagues, if not the first league, to get going again. All the sports betting behind the NHL is gonna go through the roof once this goes goes uh, goes through. Oh yeah, I have friends down here who don't know hockey that ask me like who I would pick and stuff. So, so you're telling me that people are also sick and tired of betting on Korean baseball and NASCAR as well, and they want to bet on some hockey. I don't think well, you're wrong. <laughs> so uh, we'll talk about the remaining eight teams in each conference. Um, so that's the bottom eight in each side. They're going to play in a best of five series that'll advance them to round one to play one of the already seeded teams like Boston, Toronto, or Boston, Tampa Bay, Washington, those guys. And interesting, best of five. In my opinion, I thought it should have been a best of three because half these teams I don't think should have even had a chance. Like, yeah. I'm going to tell you the teams here, like, we're going to see. Arizona, we're going to see Winnipeg, teams like that. They should, yeah. they have no business being in the playoffs. But the reasoning for this, which I thought was hilarious, is teams cited they were scared of Carey Price and Patrick Kane <laughs> taking over oh, yes. and beating them single-handedly. Carey Price, this, the guy that's been on a steady downhill, I mean, he had a, I think, 9-10 save percentage, which is slightly below league average, but I, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to be taking a series from you anymore. I mean, I just think back to the movie Miracle with Jim Craig, you know? The assistant coach gave him uh, some trouble for picking Craig as a starter, and he's like, "Have you ever seen him with his game on and stuff?" So yeah, I don't know. It's go. interesting but, um, if you get Carey peak through the playoffs. Yeah, no, that was that was a fun yeah. little tidbit there on why they prefer to five over three. But um, I'll read you the rest of the matchups quickly here in the East in the playing games. So we're gonna have a five seeded Pittsburgh versus a twelve seeded Montreal. Now, quickly. Pittsburgh loses this. They're thrown in the draft lottery, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Imagine Pittsburgh wins this draft lottery and they, they're sitting there picking Alexis Lafreniere there and they were a five seed in the playoffs. Like, yeah, there would that's be another uh, thing some, that's cool some about this format. Sure. <laughs> but um, we got Pittsburgh, Montreal. Then we got Carolina versus the Rangers, which we talked about. That could be real interesting there if uh, the Rangers pick them off. We got the Islanders versus Florida, which I'm intrigued by. I think Florida's a really strong team. Or I'm sorry. Islanders have who in the first round? Uh, I believe they have Florida. They do have Florida, and then Toronto plays so. who? Toronto plays Columbus. Okay, that's what yep. it is. Toronto, uh, Toronto plays Columbus. Yeah, my notes mixed up, but oh, those are Eastern Conference playing matchups. To the west, we have Edmonton and Chicago. That's a five twelve. We have Nashville and Arizona. A little uh, John Hines versus Taylor Hall action there, and that's going to be important. We'll talk later on with the uh, <laughs> Arizona pick. We'll talk about that. Then we have Vancouver, uh, Vancouver and Minnesota, which is also important regarding the Devils pick. We'll talk about that, and then we have Calgary and Winnipeg to end it out. 
Now, in the coming weeks on another podcast, we're going to break down each matchup. Um, a little far out to do that, but um, that's an exciting thing to think about. Um, so with the format, we talked about it a little bit. What do you guys think? I mean, do you guys like this whole five versus 12 playing things? Do you think these teams should have just been like, you know what, they don't deserve to be here. We should have just took the top eight. What do you guys think? I'll let Corey jump in here first because this is just a whole can of worms. <laughs> well, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm, 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 like I said, I'm happy that there's going to be hockey, but I, I feel for the teams that are getting kind of screwed in this situation, and I do feel for this for how it's going to affect the draft going forward. Um, I feel that you know some of the, especially you know pertaining to some of these teams that weren't originally going to make the playoffs, why not just have a round robin tournament for everybody? Like at this point, if you're just going to be starting to include other teams that weren't going to make it originally, why couldn't there just been a tournament that included all all thirty one? teams you know, yeah that's, I, I don't that's, know <laughs> that would have been hard to do because then you get oh, the real I, I, territory there and people are gonna get real mad there if you have uh, the devil sitting there playing who don't have any business you know yeah, I mean, yeah, but I, I feel where you're saying that. But there's there's teams that are sitting there right now who technically don't have any business. So <laughs> yeah, you got there, uh, Chris. <laughs> I, I I think it's just it's. So, so Bettman said it best, and, and the, he's absolutely right uh, when it comes to this. There's no way to do this where everyone is 100% yeah. happy. There's yeah, just there's no yep, way yep. to do that. Someone's going to be yep. upset. Someone's going to be left out. Um, that being said, I agree with James. You know, I, I agree with what you said, how the first round could be like a best of three instead of a best of five. And maybe that's yep. something they look into if this really gets delayed. They could look into shortening that opening round series. Because um, I guarantee you, in order to get this done, we're going to see back-to-back nights of hockey. We're not going to see nights in between games for players to rest they're gonna make it just that's my opinion they're probably gonna make it across the board where you play back-to-back nights um but in well, terms of like very, the plans, very, no go ahead Corey jump in man no I said this this uh this this format's very very similar to how they run it in the AHL and how they've done it for a couple years now where it's you know the top four teams from each division will make it in they play the first round as a best of five and then after that, it's best of seven series. Actually, I think it's actually best of five for the first two rounds. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's the first two rounds are best of five. And then they do best of seven for the next two rounds after that. So like this whole format they're going with is something that I'm already kind of familiar with um, how they're structuring the, the round robin tournament. That's that's a little bit different. But overall, it seems like they're really going off the model of how the AHL is running. And I think you're right. They think that we are going to see a lot of back to back games. I mean, look at uh, just and this is why I think they had to go with this system. Uh, Look at the East versus the West in terms of your like level of competition. Like, I think the Metro is the hardest division in hockey right now. And that that shows with seven teams out of eight being in this playoff format. And I mean, it's not like the teams that were outside were not in a position to make the playoffs. Like the Rangers were very well in it as much as I dislike saying that. Um, The Islanders, I believe, were barely holding a wild card spot. Carolina was in the mix there as well. And so was Columbus. So all those teams, you know, if you played out the season, anything could have happened. It wasn't like they were so far out that like, you know, they couldn't do it I, I think I like the the system overall and I like how they kind of tweaked um that round for the uh the teams yeah, with the first round by I yep. did like that they were part very as well. creative with it but yeah as you guys could hear us talking there's there's good things to it there's bad things to it and like Chris said Batman said it perfectly no one's gonna be happy on how it ends but um yeah we'll see how it goes I think it'll be fun the hockey getting back hopefully hopefully it works yeah, out and it can actually come back and we can yeah. see it but um, we'll see yeah yeah, so 
Chris, take us through. They also Bettman also broke down the lottery system, how they're going to have two different phases. And I was updating the page at that point, and I just threw out a tweet that was like, "Hey, I'm not even going to try to explain to you guys <laughs> what's yeah. going on here." Yeah. I've since learned about it and understand it now. But Chris, give our listeners a quick breakdown on it. Yeah, so it was uh, it was very confusing at first to me as well. Um, the more I, I read it, I finally understood it. Um, so basically, we have phase one. There's two phases to the lottery. Uh, phase one is going to consist of the bottom seven teams, which uh, currently Devils are in the sixth spot. Um, and it's going to have eight placeholder teams, team A, B, through, I think it was like F or whatever that uh, Bettman had mentioned. Um, that's just going to be a normal draft lottery, normal draft odds. If the top three lottery picks go to the bottom seven teams, we don't even see this phase two. And I think that is the perfect, perfect scenario for how this could play out. Yeah, that needs to happen or else a lot of people are yes. going to be very angry. <laughs> yes. So... The, the tricky and sticky part is, is phase two, which is where um, if a lottery pick is won in the phase one portion by a team who is, uh, you know, in the play-in a round right now, yeah, it's, it's, it's won by one, one of those placeholder teams, which is not uncommon. I mean, we saw Philly move up a, a one year, I think, when we took Nico. They were like nine, I think. Chicago moved up from like 10 the year we got uh, Hughes last year. So it's not uncommon for that to happen. Um, we've seen it recently. And in that phase two, if one of those placeholder teams wins one of those top three draft lottery picks, again, it doesn't have to be number one. It could be two or three. It could be all three, the top three picks being won Chaos. by those bottom eight teams, or excuse me, those uh, those teams that lost in the play-in. If that happens, then there's a second lottery, and each of those placeholder teams has a 12.5% chance, so it's even across the board, of winning that one lottery pick. So. Yeah, and- just to explain the further, the placeholder teams, again, are going to be the eight teams that lose in the play-in round. And they'll Those be sorted be out by teams. points percentage from the regular season as well. That's how yep. they'll reorder that. Now, the, the, it's, it's a good idea, but the main problem and the, you know, the potential... I mean, it's bad enough if you have all three teams that are, you know, losing in the playing round, uh, winning the top three, in my opinion. But say you have, I don't think this would happen. Pittsburgh gets upset by Montreal, like we mentioned before. Or me personally, I, I think Chicago is going to upset in the playing round. I think Chicago is going to be in it. Um, say Edmonton, who Chicago plays, is it loses that playing round. Oh, they're not going to win the Yeah, they're going to win. Yeah, so... so Say you have Edmonton or Pittsburgh or even potentially both, you know, who cares if they're like the bottom eight seats? Imagine uh, Lafreniere, who's the uh, overall consensus to go yeah. number one. Imagine him playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl or Crosby and Malkin. Yeah. I mean, they, they yeah. were just. Yeah. I mean, what do you guys think? Would you tweak anything about it? I mean, I, I have an idea I mean, of how I would tweak it, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just tough. Everything about this is tough. That that's that's my worst fear is that something like that bizarre happens where we have a team like Pittsburgh moving all the way up in the lottery. I guess they did the best they could. My my whole thing is why have two phases? Why not wait until after the playing round? That's played? that's exactly like, my thought. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I mean, it is what it is. Hopefully, their Devils get get the good odds, but. Um, We'll, uh, we'll move on now to discuss on what this means for our Devils and their three first-round picks. If you guys aren't aware, the Devils do own three first-round picks as of right now. They have their own. 
They have Arizona's, which was acquired in the Taylor Hall trade, and they have Vancouver's first-round pick, which was acquired from Tampa Bay in the Blake Coleman trade. So the Devils pick, sitting at the sixth-best odds at 7.5%. That's where that's locked in. That's their pick. 7.5% chance to win the lottery. We'll see that. Arizona pick is lottery protected. It's protected in a way where it's lotto protected. Only way Devils lose the pick is if Arizona loses their playing game and wins the lottery. So you hope that doesn't happen. I mean, maybe you do, and then the Devils get their next year first-round pick, but I'd rather just have that pick this year, especially given how deep the draft is. So what you want to root for in terms of that Arizona pick you hope they lose in their playing game and they don't win a lottery. Simple. Um, hopefully that pick would land somewhere around 10. It could be as best as eighth if something gets funky and Montreal or Chicago wins their games. But um, yeah, you got to hope they win that. Excuse me. They lose their playing round and don't win the lottery. Vancouver picks a little more interesting. Um, if Vancouver misses the playoffs, then that pick stays with Vancouver and the Devils don't get it. The Devils we get a next year first round pick. I'm right by saying that, right, Chris? I get this confused sometimes. Yeah. So uh, we're if we're discussing Vancouver correctly, yeah. Basically, uh, Vancouver keeps it this year if they don't make the playoffs, um, yeah. which I believe has translated now into if they lose their plan, they keep it. If they win the plan, then then we would get it. Um, but yeah, if we end exactly. up next year's pick, it's next not lotto protected at all. No. Yeah, Chris said it perfectly. Um, in this situation, you want Vancouver to win their first playing game, and they play. Look at my, let's look at my notes real quick. They play Minnesota in the first round, so you hope uh, the playing round. So you hope Vancouver beats Minnesota, and then loses the next round. And if this happens, this pick could be anywhere between sixteen through twenty-three. If they beat Minnesota and they win the next round. Devils are definitely getting the pick, but it's going to be a little ugly. It's going to get into the 20s, so that would be a whole different situation. But I mean, do we have yeah. a general idea on the draft class strength of next year? I know this year it's pretty strong, at least in the beginning. Oh, I, I This year's class is going to be pretty strong throughout the whole entire first round. There's going to be some first-round prospects that uh, seep into the second round. I have no idea how next year's draft is supposed to be. I've been really focused yeah, on that. I haven't, I haven't really looked at it either. But to summarize, for the Arizona pick, you hope they lose their playing game against John Hines and the Nashville Predators, and they don't win the lottery. For the Vancouver pick, you hope they beat the Minnesota Wild, but then lose whoever they play against in the next round. So that's what you want here for the picks. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, that's our talk on the Gary Benton press conference. We're going to move and we're going to swing it over to Corey. He's going to give us his Donuts and Dynasty segment. Corey, let's hear about that. Tell us a little why Donuts and Dynasty is the name. Uh, yeah, so I came up with the inspiration for the Donuts and Dynasty's name, kind of taking it back all the way to 1988 when uh, uh, <clears throat> incident in Devil's history kind of lives in NHL infamy all the way to this day. Um, it was back in the 1988 Eastern Conference Finals. The Devils were taking on the Boston Bruins. They were getting beat up pretty bad, and the Devils... Head coach Jim Schoenfeld was having altercations with the referee on the ice, Don Koharski, at the time. They were going back and forth all game. Uh, when the game eventually went to end, Don Koharski went to step off the ice, and the one side of one video showed what looked like Jim Schoenfeld going off and pushing Don Koharski and then him falling down. Other video revealed 
veiled that Koharski actually just tripped over his own skate blade. But when he fell... Uh, Devil's coach started yelling at him, you fell, you fell, you fat pig. And just that's kind of just lived on in the NHL for all these years now. I mean, even to this day, there's players on the ice. If they're not getting along with the referee at the time, if that referee falls during the game or he gets bumped or something like that, they'll tell him, have another donut. So he said that. And that was the big line. It was have another donut, you fat pig, you fell. And so that, that's, a, that's where that came from with that. The dynasties portion of it is just after that, it was kind of a turnaround for the Devils in their history. They they started to pick it up, made the playoffs more consistently. They uh, ended up going to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then, and then of course winning the Stanley Cup in '95 for the first time. And then the next eight years after that, what was what I consider just the, the, the great time to be a Devils fan. Because I mean, all the playoff appearances, three Stanley Cups. I mean, we were we were a great team during that time. So that's where I kind of got the inspiration for the name. Going back to when we uh, we weren't considered too good to a time when we were a really 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 fun team to watch. Yeah, were we still wearing red and green at that point? Uh, no, no. By that point in time, no, it was black and red. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> yep. Um, actually, no. I I think during the '88 series, though, they they might have still been wearing the the red and greens then. But I know by the time uh, by the time the the play, the Stanley Cup rolled around in '95, they were definitely in the black and reds. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So today I wanted to take a little trip down uh, memory lane, talk about some interesting facts about the uh, the 94-95 season pertaining to the uh, the Devils and their minor league affiliate at the time, the, uh, the Albany River Rats. Uh, during that time, I was actually an Albany River Rats season ticket holder, so I got to go to all the games, and then I got to start watching New Jersey Devils games on, uh, on TV because they were finally started broadcasting on TV here in Albany. So it was kind of cool. Um, one of the really interesting things that uh, that happened that year is the Devils won the Stanley Cup and the Albany River Rats won the Calder Cup. Now, that's actually only been done by two franchises in professional hockey history. It's been done by the Devils and it's been done by the Montreal Canadiens. The only thing the Canadians have over the Devils is the fact the Canadians have done it, done it twice, and they did it back to back by back in 1976 and 77. So that was a really cool fun fact that I'm not sure a lot of Devils fans are know about is, and that's something that you know we can kind of hold over other NHL franchises saying, yeah. hey, we kind of did that." You guys I had didn't. no idea about it. Awesome. Yeah, this is news to me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was really cool, but it's kind of cool because there was actually a lot of other things that lined up with that series that are actually kind of freaky. One of them is the fact that the Devils swept the Red Wings in the Stanley Cup Finals, and the River Rats swept the Fredericton Canadians in the Calder Cup Finals. So both uh, both teams ended up sweeping the finals to to take it all home. So that was kind of cool. But then the other fun fact is the fact that both of the finals were broadcast on Fox, um, and the only reason I know that is because I was uh, the the River Rats final actually happened a month before the uh, the NHL final. Back then in the minor leagues and the, the American Hockey League, the Calder Cup playoffs usually took place a month before the Stanley Cup playoffs. Hmm. Nowadays they're only about a now they're only about a week or two off. So but back then it was about a, a month difference between the two. So it was kind of cool because, you know, I got to watch the River Rats win the Calder Cup and then go home. And the next month later, I get to watch, you know, the Devils roll through the playoffs and then eventually, you know, uh, win the Stanley Cup. Um, the only major differences between the, the those two teams that year is the River Rats were actually favored to win the Calder Cup that year. They finished super strong on the season. They finished with 109 points. They had some really, really prolific players who are now known on the Devils and known in Devils history. It was like Steve Sutton. 
Sullivan, Sergey Breland, Brian Ralston. Um, and there was actually another player on the team, a guy, uh, Kevin Dean. He's actually the assistant coach for the Boston Bruins right now. He was actually on the Calder Cup winning team. So he got to raise the Calder Cup and then got called to New Jersey right afterwards and got to play in the Stanley Cup winning team and win the Stanley Cup a month later. Not so, a bad uh, summer yeah. right there for that guy. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if there's any other players who have done that. Nowadays, you can't get away with that with all the rules of calling up and sending people down. You can't do that now. But, but yeah, I thought that was a, uh, that was a really, really cool thing to happen between, uh, between the two teams. Save that I mean, in your trivia uh, bank, people. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, but it's it's funny because it's like, you know, the Devils weren't they weren't a strong team at all, you know, during that year. I mean, they they were the prior year. I mean, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Rangers in, in 94. And of course, you know, the Rangers went on to win the cup that year. So they finished the season. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, 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 I think Rangers cup and win in the same sentence. I know, it burns my tongue. I know. <laughs> But but I think I think that was a good turning point for the franchise because I mean the following you know the following fall when the preseason kicked off the Devils were pretty strong that year they went they went five two and two in the preseason and it was kind of cool because that was the first time that New Jersey ended up playing a preseason game in Albany and that was my first time seeing the Devils in person and not just watching them on TV so I was already excited for that year coming up then the lockout hit so that that part sucks so we went through the lockout and the season actually didn't uh, kick off again until January. January of 95. So when the season came back in, the Devils, they were they were not a great team at all. I mean, they started off 9-11 and 4. They were horrible on the road, 8-14 and 2, but they ended up finishing the finishing the season 13-7 and 4. They were second in the Atlantic Division and fifth overall in the Eastern Conference. So they finished a lot stronger than how they started. But this is kind of an attest to players like Brodeur because Brodeur was still a rookie at that time. But I mean, his his numbers back then were just fantastic. I mean, he had, he had a 902 save percentage, a 2.44 goals against average. I mean, he him and the defense were one of the biggest reasons why they still why they made it so far. Um, unfortunately, that's also why the Devils got you know kind of kicked around and known for playing the trap system and and I even I, I get ragged on it here in Buffalo all the time and I run into people and I'm wearing my devil's gear oh play the trap they play the trap that's why they won the cups they play the trap and it's like I, I get so tired of hearing it um, but it worked right <laughs> did it work exactly. or did it Exa- work exactly exactly and, and honestly like what, what what do Buffalo fans hold over me when I go to games <laughs> but <laughs> we, we we love but, you, Buffalo um, fans. We're just we're just you know, <laughs> we're just we're just joshing with you here. No, no, I love it here. No, no, the Buffalo fans are great. Honestly, like this this is this is a great city. It's a great hockey city, and I've always had a good time. We like to chirp at each other, but you know it's always nice to chirp back. That how many cups do you have? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, but, it's rough, and we'll, we'll probably touch into that here later, but. Yeah, yeah, but um, but yeah, I thought that was uh, you know that that was it was a really interesting time. I think what was really funny back then is if you go back and you watch the highlights from the '95 Stanley Cup Final. When they were getting ready to award the trophies after the Devils won. This was kind of the early on in the stages of when a lot of Devils fans and NHL fans started to have a lot of distaste for Gary Bettman, and. 
at the time, he actually was in favor of the rumored move to Nashville. That Back then, there was a lot of talks that, that they were going to relocate the Devils to Nashville. Yep. They were a struggling organization and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever whenever he you know came about, like, I mean, that's that's what really started the, the hatred for him in New Jersey. So when he came out to award first the Conn Smythe Trophy, <laughs> you would hear kind of a mixture of like, yeah, people were really happy that the Devils won the Cup, but at the same time, they really hated Gary Bettman. Yeah. So it was, you know, a co- it was just a mixture of a chorus of like, yeah, we're happy, and no, a ton, a ton of booze. And then the same thing happened when they awarded the Stanley Cup. And I just thought that was that, that was kind of a, a funny. If you go back and you watch it, it's it's really hysterical because it's. I mean, you know, you know what happens when Bettman hits the ice. Oh, yeah. Now it's. It, it's I mean, it, it happens it's in the draft. It happens you know, anywhere he's talking. Yeah, but in that it's, circumstance, you know, but, they have hatred behind it because he was in favor of the Devils leaving New Jersey. No? Exactly. But nowadays. Yep. Yep. Says, oh, the commissioner let's be the commissioner but the devil yeah. fans had something to do about yeah you know? most yep. fans just see it yep. as like it's the thing it's what we do it's like no devil fan, we we have legitimate reasons why we are going yeah. to give Bettman some some trouble and stuff and I honestly I I like how he takes it you know and, and when he uh when they retired oh yeah. uh, I think it was Eliash's number Lamarillo you know joked with uh Bettman because he was there uh, we all cheered yeah and he was like that's not the reception yep. you got yep. so it's it's uh, we're yep. kind of a little that. bit more friendly with him with it now but uh yeah we actually did have some real intentions for why we were booing him good stuff yeah i never i never understood the uh i I never understood the uh you know the reason behind other teams it was just you know back then when i first saw it and and growing up i I was 10 11 years old when Mm -hmm. i when i saw them win that cup and i saw albany win the calder cup so you know for years after that it was like you know the growing hatred for bettman just but i never questioned like why other teams hated him i just assumed like oh everybody hated him because you know he wanted to move the devils yeah the one thing i'll say and then i'll hand it over (laughs) is that uh a lot of that probably stemmed from the lockouts that you know he was he and the players couldn't uh get together with and i you look back historically those lockouts were the best for the league like the things that came out of those lockouts that the NHL was trying to get, that's why the NHL is where it is today. Um, but I'll hand it over well, to James. Didn't he, do it in, didn't he do it in the NBA before he came to the NHL? I honestly can't remember. Because I know yeah, he was the commissioner of the NBA before he came to the NHL, but I don't know if, if he orchestrated really? any lockouts. Yeah. yeah. I pretty did sure not was. know that. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Gotta, we got to fact check that one. I, I had no idea. Um, I'm doing. I'm, I'm checking it right now. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, some some bad podcasting here, but we'll, uh, <laughs> let, let us know what you think because that's interesting. I would have never guessed that. But um, well, you guys looked that up. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just like a it's a a fan bond uh, thing. Senior, vi- senior vice president. Sen- Senior Vice President and General Counsel. That's who it was. Okay, right. never mind. Yeah, he was a commissioner. He's close. All right. I was going to be like Matt. <laughs> close, though. different leagues. But uh, no, going back to that booing thing, I think it's just more of like a fan bond, the boo commissioners. I mean, you hear it in the NFL. Yeah, it's not just us. Was, yeah, Goodell was making a – when he was doing the uh, draft, the weird virtual draft, um, the people, they were making a joke about booing Goodell and um, all that good stuff. But um, yeah, good stuff, Corey. That was a fun little segment. I uh, uh, all that you told me was news to me because, like I said, I'm a young. I, I wasn't around for that. Stuff, I was I was alive for '95, well, but not able to remember it. So, no, I got a lot of history to throw at you guys. So, hopefully, we'll there have some, go. some more good stuff in the future here. All right, so um, good stuff. We're gonna now go into our third segment of this podcast. We're gonna recap the double season. So, as you know, I spoke about before the Batman press conference that officially ended the double season. 
for me, his season started with the highest of expectations. Everyone dubbing the Devils the offseason champions, and it ended in complete disappointment. As basically, I feel like every season since that cup run, besides the, the magical Taylor Hall, Keith Kincaid season where the Devils made the playoffs and lost yep. the Lightning a few years ago. But there's been a lot of disappointment being a Devils fan. But um, mm-hmm. teams teams in a good place going forward. Um, let's let's talk about their season. Let's uh, give our input. So what we're going to do here is we're going to go around. Each of us is going to give their top two best performers, whether it be the player, team, or coach. Not coach. Dogs. A little spoiler alert. Trust me, no coaches did anything good this season. <laughs> or uh, we're going to give our two most disappointing, an overall favorite moment, and an overall least favorite moment. So that's what we'll do now. Um, I'll kick us off with my top two impressive. For me, Jesper Bratt was terrific this year. Um, mm-hmm. Six-round pick, former six-round pick. He's been nothing but great. This year he took an absolutely humongous step forward. And when you look at his offensive stats, you might not think, oh, man, I mean, yeah, he set a high in goals, but um, his defensive game has come along such great strides. Um, Like I told you guys, I'm a big analytics guy. Expected goals against is a stat. Expected goals, um, it's goals you should have given up. The goals against is goals you should have given up based on the shots, scoring of chances, high danger chances. His expected goals against was by far the lowest amount it's been in his career. And it, it, it was great. And his Corsi against, Corsi, for you guys that don't know what Corsi is, it's basically it's a measure of shot attempts. It's a plus-minus differential. So say so you have eight shot attempts while you're on the ice. Four, you have seven against. Your Corsi, four, it's a cumulative plus one. That's how that works. But. Yeah, Brett's course he against was very low as well. Both were way better than league average, which is great to see. Like I said, his defensive game is just taking steps and steps. And his offensive game was still great. I mean, we saw the playmaking, Brat, the way his sneaky passes, all that good stuff from him. Mm-hmm. Like I said, he improved on his career high in goals. He would have eclipsed his career high in points as well if the season continued. I think he was like about like five points off of doing that. But I was extremely impressed with Jess Bratt. The Devils have a young two-way top six forward blossoming before their very eyes. Where did we draft him again? Yeah, right. Sixth round, baby. Yep, yep, yep. Let's remember that. <laughs> so um, now my second most impressive is this does not get a lot of love, and it needs to get a lot of love. What Mark Dennehy did with the Bingham and Devils was yes. absolutely terrific. Yeah. They started... Yeah, well, this is around the podcast. Sorry, guys. All good. Um, they started nine, seventeen, and four to start the season. It, it was ugly. It was ugly, and I was even. I don't. I didn't know much about Dennehy, but like they, they just looked slow. They were bad. They were getting caved in on a nightly basis, mm-hmm. getting outshot, shot by just large amounts. They turned this around and went on a run. There, when the season ended, was cut short. They went from nine seventeen four zero to thirty four twenty four four zero, and in a playoff spot in the North Division, they were the fourth team in the North. Yeah, wow. Mark Dennehy yep. and his team led them to a playoff spot. They would have made the playoffs for the first time since their move to Binghamton from Albany, which was the twenty seventeen season. Corey. Yep. Yeah. They, yep. Moving twenty seventeen. 
Yep. So that would have been their first playoff. It's a shame it ended how it did. Some guys I want to mention from that team. Joey Anderson had a terrific season. He was an AHL All Star. He was also great when he um, he didn't, he played on the fourth line with the Devils this year when he got. Yeah, he saw up. some time this year. But but he was great. Yep. He was great in that time. Um, his his fancy numbers told a great story, and he he had a few points here and there. Great for a fourth line role. Um, Jilly Sen, prospect goalie. He started the season off really poor. He uh, his save percentage was down in like 0.88, 0.89 territory. He had a great second half. Um, he ended with a point nine one, a nine oh one save percentage, which is a good number for uh, where he started. He played well. Nick Merkley, who was acquired in the Taylor Hall trade, he was uh, big. Yeah, Taylor Hall trade, nineteen points in twenty eight games. He looks like he could be a decent. He, he showed a lot when he was up at here. the NHL level. Hopefully, top nine upside. Hopefully, he continues there. Um, defensively, Josh Jacobs played great. He's, I, I'm a big Josh Jacobs guy. I'm, I'm. He hasn't really gotten a shot at the NHL level. He's by far Binghamton's best defensive defenseman. I think he could one day serve as a bottom pairing guy for the Devils. I was impressed with the couple games he played up here. Yeah, he he wasn't bad, but uh, Mikhail Maltsev and Yegor Sharangovich, two forward prospects for the Devils, um, they they progressed well. They didn't have gaudy point totals, but they played great. And uh, yeah, it was a big year for Binghamton. It was great to see them. Um, hopefully, next year, whenever the season gets started, they build on this, and it'd be great to see some playoff hockey down in the AHL. Um, quick. Before I pass it to you guys for your top two most impressive, I just have a couple honorable mentions. Fans probably are going to hate me for this, but Damon Severson played great for the minutes he had to play, defensively, that is. Um, He played an absolutely ton of minutes this year. I wrote an article for the page, and he played in the top probably like 10% of the league in terms of time on ice for a defenseman. And his defensive uh, defensive metrics were terrific. He, He was great defensively. Um, big top four guy for the Devils next season. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say my other honorable mention because I think Corey has him on his list, but Chris, let me hear your two top <laughs> impressive, uh, top two impressive. Uh, yeah. So basically, uh, uh my, my two favorites, um, and I, I gotta say this first one without devil's Twitter, I don't know if we would have had this, but the goose was loose, baby. Um, so Nikita Gusev, obviously uh, big, big high point there for me. Um, I was stoked when we got, I couldn't believe that we pulled that off. Congratulations, Devil's Twitter. Um, I see you trying to do it again with uh, some coaching. We'll, we'll get into that too. But uh, yeah, obviously Nikita Gusev at the beginning of the season, he kind of struggled a little bit. We saw his minutes uh, a little bit low, and that was because they were trying to just focus on the defensive side of the game. Yeah, like James, James could tell you the analytics on it. Yeah. He was terrible defensively. Yeah. But go ahead, Chris. <laughs> and, I, and I mean, that's that's the trade-off. You know, very great, skilled offensive player, but, you know, you just got to work on that defensive side. And a lot of players did that, too. Terrific. Like, not terrific defensively, yeah. but his defensive game came along Oh yeah, exactly. And and as we got more towards that end of the season, you saw him get more and more minutes. You saw him, you know, doing his thing. And I mean, him and Brat being put together that Euro line, Zaka definitely on there too, doing a little bit of his part. But my goodness, the silky mitts Goose have had, the this the skating ability, the the puck just always found him, which is just one of the biggest things that happens with a goal scorer. They don't have to do anything. The puck just comes to them. They're like a magnet. I I was. Very, very impressed with Nikita Gusev, especially uh, obviously the second half of the season. He had some some pretty cool uh, moments in the beginning half, but his lim- minutes were more limited. Um, 
And then going off of that, uh, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna tug on some heartstrings here, but uh, I was always a huge Blake Coleman fan. Um, that goal, you know, to start the season when we thought we were gonna be Stanley Cup champs because we were up like six something on Winnipeg when he scored that <laughs> falling down, which apparently he's just he's good at doing that because it's not the first time we've seen him do it. Uh, that to me, I, I've I've always liked that grit and that sandpaper that Coleman played with his offensive skill. Um, so those moments always stood out to me, especially that one to start the year, where he I can't even explain to you the physics on that. Like, <laughs> but I mean, I'll, I'll hand it over to Corey, and Corey can uh, can talk about his top two yeah, moments. The top two uh, most impressive players, whatever you want to talk about. Well, Go ahead, Corey. Uh, well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it off with Blackwood. I mean, Black. He yeah, was that's, just, that's who my honorable mention was gonna be. <laughs> yeah, but. no, I mean, I I was skeptical about Blackwood first off because I got to see him early on in Albany in his early days, like he before struggled. he got called up and everything. He did. He struggled a lot. I mean, he 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 wasn't he wasn't impressive. I mean, he mm-hmm. he, he ended up losing a lot of games. Actually, during the the time he came on was late in the season when Albany was kind of in a fight for a final playoff spot. I mean, they got it, but you know, it played he played a lot of games where it kind of put them on edge a little bit. But um but yeah, no, he absolutely just completely owned it in my opinion this season. I mean, he was awesome. He finished 22-14 and 8. Um, and I mean, just like he stood on his head towards the end of the season, really kind of, kind of, and it kept the team not not really alive because the team was never alive at any point in the season, but kind of kept the confidence going, in my opinion, amongst the team in the locker room. I mean, look at that shutout streak he had going early on this year too. He broke I mean, a I don't think, on that, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah, broke, uh, did he break yeah, he broke did, some kind of record there. For, I don't know if it was consecutive wins or shutouts or. But, um, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember what it was specifically, but but yeah, I mean, like right up and you know, right up until Schneider came back, I mean, he was he was fantastic, and I mean, and you know, kind of little little bit of mention of Schneider too, because honestly, like I, I it was only four games, but he was pretty impressive in those four games. But honestly, like Blackwood was just, in my opinion, just lights out this season, and I really hope he kind of keeps it going for for next season. My uh, my second pick uh, was Nico this year. Um, as much as he really didn't put up the numbers like he did in previous years, I think he really stepped up his game in other areas. He was a lot better defensively. He was crazy good with his puck handling, um, and his faceoff percentage jumped up to twenty or f- jumped up to fifty two percent. So he was right up there with Travis Zajac with with his faceoff. So like those those two were definitely my um my picks for you know my my, my top two players for for yeah, the season. No. Obviously there's no go ahead. Uh, no, I was gonna say Blackwood was absolutely terrific this year, and at the he end of the season, was the one half. of the main main reasons that the Devils won the games they were able to towards absolutely. the end of the season. Yep, he was absolutely yep. terrific, and Nico is great two-way center and his defensive game gets overlooked but um no those are great yep. two great picks so um we'll move on to our top two most disappointing i'll start us off for me coaching coaching all around john hines elaine nazarene they were both terrible um to put it to put it simply in my opinion so starting off with Hines, his system just did not build the Devils roster. He wanted to play this slow-it-down type of game, rely defensively, and the speed the Devils have, it just did not work. And he, he needed to be fired long after uh, – he needed to be fired 
a lot quicker than he was. Um, I think he's a big reason why the Devils were ultimately able to retain Taylor Hall and their season went down the drain so quickly. In comes Elaine Nazardine, who the record tells you the Devils were better under Nazardine, but all the fancy stats do not paint that picture. He actually, the Devils under Nazardine posted lower Corsi 4 percentage and an expected goal than the Detroit Red Wings. Keep in mind, these Detroit Red Wings was it's one of the they were the one of the worst teams in NHL history this year. Yeah, they were absolutely yeah. Horrific. Like you thought the team's tanking for McDavid was bad. Yeah, the, the Red Wings were terrible, and the Devils were out here under Nazardine putting up uh, worse numbers than Detroit was, but. Well, uh, I'll move on to our second one, or my second one. Jack Hughes was disappointing. I know he's a young kid. He was really young, but he didn't play how many thought he was. His 21 points in 61 games, as uh, out of first round or first overall picks that played their draft year like Hughes did, this is the lowest point total for a rookie since 1999. Um, out of 34 rookies, his Corsi for uh, Corsi four percentage was thirtieth out of these thirty four. It just wasn't a great season for him. He was physically dominated. It, it was because of size. He just um, yeah, I was gonna yeah, say that's he, probably the biggest thing. Say, yeah, he just doesn't have the body yet. Exactly. He'll he'll build. Up. I'm not worried. By no means am no. I worried about the IQs. I just want to. I mean, we've seen it. We've right seen here. the IQ. We've. We, I mean, we saw that beautiful power play goal to Paul Mary, like through the legs, tape to tape. Like we we see the talent and the IQ. It's there. It's mostly just physically. You know, he's. I, I think he's got that experience now. He knows what he's in for. Um, I think you know it's going to be a bigger year next year for him. Yeah, like I said, I am no no reason worried about Hughes yet. And also, I saw a chart posted by CJ Tartoro, I think his name is, on Twitter. And it basically just is uh, entry and exit statistics. And Hughes was in the top percentiles in the league, like 98 percentile, 95 percentile in those areas of the game, which is great to see. It'll come along, but he was just a little disappointing this year. Wanted to see more out of him, but he'll get better. I'm not worried about it. Another player I wanted to mention was Jesper Boquist, another rookie. He didn't meet expectations after dominating in the preseason. He was disappointing as well. Ended up being sent down to the AHL where he played very well. Just uh, in the NHL, he wasn't all that impressive this year. But like I said, two young kids. I'm not worried about either one of them. But uh, Corey, go ahead. Give us your uh, two most disappointing players or whatever you want to talk about this season. So this year, I think it was kind of, uh, you know, fan wide that and that everybody was kind of disappointed, including myself, in P.K. Subban. I mean, there was tons and tons of high hopes with him coming in. Now, I know he kind of struggled towards the end with Nashville, but I thought kind of him coming in, he was he was going to put up a little bit more than uh, than what he did. I mean, he was he was off on the ice between losing the puck battles all the time, constant turnovers left and right. I mean, he, he put up barely any points. And I was just super disappointed. I had crazy high hopes for Subban coming in this year, but I, I, I unfortunately was sorely disappointed like the rest of the fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Corey, to go off of what you were talking about, I actually included a little tidbit on Subban in my most recent article or whenever I wrote it. But um, his scoring, his shots, his numbers, all that were career lows for him. And like you said, in Nashville, he struggled his year before coming over, and everyone was hoping it was just because he did battle an injury with Nashville and all that stuff. But it 
Yep. Sadly, he seems like he's on the regression, and it's going to be whoever the coach the Devils hire need to use Subban right. I don't think Subban's a complete loss by no means. No, I don't either. No, I, it's I, just, I don't. I don't. I don't either. Yeah, it's just he needs to be readjusted to more of a second pairing guy instead of playing the 22 minutes a night like he was this year. But, the one thing but, I'll say and give him credit for, um, you know, I was nervous about bringing him to Bright Lights, Big City, which hindsight, I really shouldn't have been. He, you know, was phenomenal in Montreal, which is huge in Canada. Um, but it, he is, he's taken on a good leadership role. I've kind of noticed that throughout the season. I mean, when he first got there, oh, he always definitely. wanted to be the last guy off the ice, but that was Andy Green's job. Andy Green was the captain. He respected that. And I mean, you saw it when Green was gone too, you know, he was always there supporting players coming down. I mean, we saw him standing up for players too. Um, uh, he's definitely taken on a good leadership position and he's just doing great with the chemistry of the team. I, I really like that aspect and I want to give him credit for that. Well, if he's not playing oh, good on the ice, that $9 million better be helping somewhere else, right? <laughs> it's hard to argue that. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, no, aside from Subban, my other disappointment this year was Will Butcher. I mean, when when we first picked up Will Butcher, I was I was pretty excited. And it was actually kind of funny because I know when when he was first picked up, originally it was, you know, he was rumored to go to Buffalo. And I got to see him for the first time here because here in Buffalo, they hold the, the prospects challenge before the uh, before the preseason kicks off. Actually, in the summer, sorry. Um, and, you know, the, Butcher was on the roster for the Devils, and I got to see him for the first time. And, man, like, Buffalo fans were sour. As soon as this kid hit the ice, man, like, you know, you, you would think it was Sean Avery in a Devils game. Like, <laughs> so, but, but then, but then, you know, he came out and he performed and I was, I was impressed by him. And then, you know, he came out and I thought he had a pretty strong start with the, with the Devils, you know, the first couple seasons. Um, but, but this year uh, he just, he fell back in my opinion so far. I mean, his point production was way down. He had one power play point for the whole season. One. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. So I mean, like, he did yeah, deal yeah, some, yeah, with yeah. some injuries I, too, I think. But yeah. He, yeah. He, he, I, I, but I don't know. Just, just in my opinion, like he just he didn't have the presence on the ice like he he did before. Like he wasn't noticeable to me. So and that was that was just kind of a disappointment because like I I really really had high hopes for for Butcher and who knows he could still turn it around. Like it was only one yeah. season, but it was one thing that just kind of stood out. It, it was definitely like, man, a different like, Butcher than we saw his rookie season. That's for sure. <laughs> that, that's I, it. That, I, that's that's it. Yeah, I don't. I I actually had him on my list. Like I didn't talk about him, but for I know you guys have your opinion and uh, people have different opinions. But I thought he was he's one of the I, in my opinion he's one of the Devils' better defensemen. Yeah, um, it's a completely one eighty. I, I agree. That's what you guys are talking about. But he, looking at his numbers, his defensive numbers are are average. They were average this year. His offensive metrics were actually slightly above average. When you look at points, you don't see that. But this, of course, underlying statistics, they sometimes point, uh, paint a little different picture. But um, for all the Devils, they they were down in terms of scoring. But um, I think Will Butcher still is one of the Devils. I think he's in like the same category as Hughes. You know, not, not a great yeah. year by any standard, but I'm not concerned about him not having a good season next year. Yeah, in my opinion, I thought he, he was still on the diver. We could have different opinions, but I thought he played perfectly fine. Um, but that's just me. But all right, Chris, I, think I could, I could cherry pick the whole team. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Chris. So I'll, I'll go over my two uh, bad moments, and again, I'm going to tuck on heartstrings again. Um, 
Blake Coleman being traded away. That was that was a very low moment, especially when we hadn't heard yet what uh, what it was for. I mean, that was all happening so fast on Twitter. I, we hear Coleman's leaving the ice and everyone's freaking out. Cause it's like, Oh my gosh, is he being traded right now? Like, are they trading him? Is that what's going on right here? And then, um, you know, we, we've had some things come up that said, no, it's, it's not believed he's being traded. And then all of a sudden it, it went down. Um, so it's very sad to see him go. Although I, I do like what we got back for him. Um, Coleman was just one of those fan favorites and, uh, you know, hopefully maybe we see him again in the devil's Jersey soon down the road. I, I know it's not impossible, Maybe not likely, but I would love to see it. Um, and then probably my second moment was uh, was the struggle with Corey Schneider. Um, you know, I, I always I always like a good comeback story. I, I liked Corey towards the end of the year. Last year he was doing good. He wasn't horrible in the uh, the international tournament with uh, Hines and Jack Hughes. Um, he, he was doing decent there. Just struggled out of the gate, and you know he went down to to Binghamton slowly kind of regained his game and again we saw it towards the second half of the season where he started to improve his numbers started to get better i mean he he went a a year i think it was between wins and it i mean i i it's it's hard to see someone go through that especially when uh you know many fans might forget schneider was the best player we had for a while it was basically him adam henrique so those numbers he was putting up before, you know, the injury with his hip, which uh, I believe Pecorine went through the same kind of injury as well. Yeah, it is similar. It, it was just tough to see him kind of go through that struggle. And hopefully he's out of it because it looks like he was bouncing out of it towards the end of the year. Yeah, I, I unfortunately think the whole Schneider ordeal is coming to an end. Unfortunately, uh, the way it ended, I was surprised that the Devils looked into buying him out because even though he did play well towards the end of the season, he, you can't rely on him to be a backup option anymore. I think ultimately the Devils are going to buy him out or somehow yeah. eat salary and try to move him. But unfortunately, the Corey Schneider saga in New Jersey has came or is coming to an end. But um, all right, good stuff. Uh, we'll quickly speak about what's next on the list. So we're going to speak about our favorite moment and least favorite moment of the season. I'll start. Uh, my favorite moment of the season was watching Tom Fitzgerald and the work he did once he took over. We'll talk more about the GM um, search in our next segment. But Tom Fitzgerald was terrific when he took over from uh, the surprising fire yeah. of Ray Sherrill. I, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't see that coming at that point. No. And I don't even know if we can no, still consider it a firing. It was just a, a you know, the way they worded it was it was a separation or, you know, they never called it a firing. They never um, – we, ne- we don't know the backstory behind it. We don't know why there was a disconnect or separation. So we'll just leave yeah, it as it, that situation. It was, it was rumored that he didn't enjoy the whole analytics side. And the Devils have one of the best analytics guys in the game. And I supposedly he didn't like that whole style of game. And there's also a disconnect. Um, supposedly they didn't like the return for Taylor Hall, but who knows? Yeah, we were kind of backed into a corner with that one. Yeah, so going on with I was talking about how Fitzgerald did work, that I know a lot of people were sorry to see Coleman go, but he got a haul. Oh, yes, for sure. He got that Vancouver first round pick, and he got Nolan Foote, which a lot of people forget about. Very good prospect. 27th, yep. And then one of the better prospects in the Devil system, probably top three, yeah, probably top three, top four prospect in the Devil system. Um, Former 2019 27th overall pick by the, um, excuse me. Yeah, picked by 
I think he was a lightning pick. Yeah, he was the lightning. I think pick. they took both brothers. I think Tampa took one brother one year. I, yeah, I don't Cal. think they were in the same draft, but I think Tampa took both both brothers. Yeah, I get those two confused, but he was a Tampa Bay pick, 2019, 27th overall. He battled through injury this year, but he still put up. He played 27 games, like I said, injury, but he did put up 33 points, more than a point per game player. Great prospect, great work by GM Fitzgerald there. Also, getting a second round pick for Andy Green on an expiring contract. Yes, um, that was that needs more attention. That's a great yes. trade right there. But um, yeah, Fitzgerald was great. We'll talk more about him shortly. My least favorite moment is how the Taylor Hall tobacco was handled. I didn't like how he was sat out. We, everyone knew it was coming, but it took like what a week. Yeah, everything to materialize. It was brutal. I I don't. I didn't. I feel like they just got caught holding the bag and stuff. Like he he got sat out. I feel like there was a deal in place they were about to agree to, and that's why they sat him. And then whoever it was must have like said no at the last second, and now it's like, well, we already benched him for one game. I feel like that might have been what happened. We don't know, but I I don't know what happened. But the whole circumstance was just miserable. What do you? How do you think Taylor Hall felt sitting at home, being scratched, not knowing where he's gonna go, knowing something's up? Yeah. Um, and fans, I don't like how the fans treat the hall there towards the end, booing him and stuff. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I get it. He wasn't really working towards the extension and people thought his play was down, even though he's more than a point per game player. But, um, yeah, yeah it was a shame. Former MVP, that 26 game point streak, he single-handedly willed the playoffs. I, I just didn't like how that ended. Yeah. Um, so those were my favorite and least favorite moments from the season. Chris, let's hear yours and then we'll get Corey. Um, so basically, um, my favorite moment was probably watching uh, Blackwood, like we talked about earlier, go on that streak. I believe it was shutouts. Um, he was coming close to Brodeur. I can't remember if he officially broken or not, but it's not the first time that we've seen Blackwood and Brodeur mentioned in the same sentence for like Devils records. Like now, now some of that has to do that you know there's there hasn't been many goalies to really go off of. But it's just crazy. He's kind of hitting those marks. And obviously the Fitzgerald, everything Fitzgerald did, I wasn't going to touch on that because you covered it pretty well. In terms of my least favorite moment, it's got to be... It's tough to pick one. Um, (laughs) I think think it's the beginning of the season, that first game. Um, We were up, like, what, 6-2 to or something on Winnipeg. Like I said, we were going to win the Stanley Cup that year. And and the worst part was we had, like, those high expectations and beliefs. And it's like, this is the year we're going to make it. We're going to make a big push. And that that gave us, like, a little taste of it. And then it all just kind of came crashing down in one game. And, I mean, it just just goes to show October hockey is just as important as the games in March and April. Just as important. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense, Corey. Uh, so, <laughs> Chris kind of stole my 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 little thing there, but oh, kind of playing off that a little bit. Yeah, it's um, it my my, my top moments obscure is the first thirty minutes of the first game of the season. <laughs> I mean, we 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 walked into that game. I mean, we're walking in there. We got Jack Hughes. We got Gusev. Like everybody's riding high, and then you know Gusev scores the first goal of the game place in that game. So yeah, exactly. The place. I, mean, I was there. I was there. The place is on fire. It was awesome. You know, and, and then Coleman scores the one-handed goal, and then the next thirty minutes, it's like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> and that's that's that would be my my 
top and bottom right there is the first 30 minutes of that game and the last 30 minutes of that game. It kind of sums up the Devil's season as I'm, a whole I'm used to in having, that one game. <laughs> I'm used to having those kind of memories as like a Mets fan multiple times. I'm not used to having it with the Devils. <laughs> I was not prepared for that. <laughs> Yeah, we could we could form a whole another podcast talking about that those those Metsies, but um, good stuff, boys. So that's our little recap there. The Devil season, a little uh, insight on what we share. There's a lot of good things, even more bad things. Um, my opinion, I think the Devils are set up great for their future. Fitzgerald did a great job picking up assets. They have 20 plus million in cap space to spend. I know oh, people yeah. are getting sick and tired of hearing it. But they are set up great for the future, and not to mention if that salary cap changes next season. With everything, yeah, that's going to be interesting too. But um, it's going to be an unorthodox off season. But I'm ready for it. It's going to be exciting. Hopefully, the Devils could continue building. We are going to move into our next segment on the Devils GM and coaching search. We've gotten a lot of news on this recently, which has been great. Um, I'll take you guys through it real quick. First, with the head coaching. I believe it was both reports by LeBron and Elliot Friedman about the Devils and their head coaching um, candidates. Nazardine's getting looks. Peter LaViolette, the former Nashville and Philadelphia head coach, is getting looks. Jared Gallant, which is well-known by Devils fan base, Devils Twitter going at it. He's been interviewed already. And John Stevens who I'll tell you a little bit about in a minute is also, um, he was also interviewed and all these interviews, interestingly enough, have been conducted by Tom Fitzgerald. We'll talk about this, what that possibly means, but I found that interesting. Mm -hmm. We'll take a quick look at who John Stevens is. And, Oh, sorry. I didn't even mention Rickard Gromberg is also being rumored. That's interesting. It's interesting. That one's a little sticky. It's, People are thinking he's the. There's a secret candidate that was referenced, and people are pretty sure that's who that is. Um, NHL rumors on Twitter. He's a yeah. pretty reputable guy. He does mm-hmm. good stuff. Um, said that that guy is Gronberg. Let me quick explain to you guys John Stevens and Gronberg's background. These are two guys on the list you may not have heard of. John Stevens was coached the the Phantoms back in the day, the AHL, the Flyers. He was promoted ultimately to the Flyers NHL where we coached from 2006 to 2010 four total seasons took the Flyers in two of those seasons to playoffs the 2007-2008 conference finals he was ultimately let go after a little bit of a slow start in 2010 and he landed on his feet with the LA Kings spent three seasons with the Kings as a head coach he also was an assistant coach there he was actually on the bench when the Kings defeated the Devils in the Stanley Cup in 2012. He was an assistant coach for the Kings. So he was their head coach for three seasons. One, It was only one full season, though. He took over midseason's interim, and then he had his full season where he actually took L.A. to the playoffs, and they were swept in the first round by the Knights and their historical season. Yeah, that, that was just that crazy. Year. Yep, and then he didn't start bad the third season with the Knights. Or, sorry, the Kings. And keep in mind, the Kings, this third season is when the Kings started their downfall. He didn't start bad. He was ultimately fired, um, and now he's the assistant coach for Dallas. He's been getting looked by the Devils. Gronberg's interesting, and I'm a big favorite. I I enjoy him. Um, A lot of people might not know who he is. 
He's the head coach of the Sweden's men's national team, junior team, U17 team, men's team, everything. He does all Sweden hockey. Sweden, keep in mind, has been extremely successful in their play. They actually have a, just an absurd record that not a lot of people know about. 50 consecutive wins in the group stage of the juniors. 50. Mm-hmm. And he's their head coach, so he's brought them that. He currently serves as the S the ZSC Lions. It's a Swiss team, their top league. The year before he took over, they were in the relegation and they didn't have to they weren't relegated. They stayed in the league. He took over and they were the first place team. He coached them to a first place team in his first year before the season was stopped. Uh, a while ago, Grunberg coached at Wisconsin as assistant not University of Wisconsin. It was the University of Wisconsin at it was a different team, but he was an assistant coach in the NCAA before all this. So those are your candidates. Um, so Chris or Corey, if you want to step in and tell you, uh, yeah. tell me out of these guys, who's your favorite for the job? Did, did we did face? we mention Gallant at all? Yeah, I talked about Gallant. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I, to me, I'm I'm kind of leaning towards Gronberg or Gallant. That those are kind of the two that I, I'm yep. I'm leaning towards. And I have some basic breakdowns here of, you know, I don't think either one would be a bad choice. Um, you kind of broke down uh, Gromberg and his success and everything. Um, I, I found a, an article that's very interesting. Um, I believe it was published by Sportsnet where they kind of talk to him. And based off what I read from it, he's a guy who doesn't believe in the roll four lines, you know, cut it down to three with like 10 minutes left, stuff like that. He's somebody who yeah, honestly, uh, people might not like this, reminds me of the Patriots in football. Um, he looks for guys and their skill and tries to match that with other people who can, you know, work together with that. And he wants like four even lines throughout the entire game that can all do damage. That's that's what he wants to aim for, which I thought was very interesting, especially with us having a lot of players that are currently in that development stage. That might be pretty good. And then when it came to Gallant, I mean, he's he's had some success. We've seen it. He's got two championships in the QMJHL, uh, also called the Q, I believe. Um, and he's also lost in the finals there. So that's three trips, two championships. He had impressive stints with uh, Florida, Vegas. Um, he won the Jack Adams in uh the inaugural year of the Vegas Golden Knights on that crazy run. Um, he has been to the playoffs multiple times and he's been described uh, as a coach that's both old school and a player's coach, which normally those two don't coincide. Um, normally that you're, you're usually one or the other. So that's very intriguing as well. Um, personally, I would probably lean towards Gallant because I don't see the devils being able to get Gromberg out of that contract that he's in. Um, but I would be satisfied with either one of those two. Yeah, that's what's sticky about the Gromberg situation. This is what NHL rumors reported, that there's something going on where the ZSC Lions aren't giving him permission to move over to the Devils, whether this is true or not. That's another circumstance that could lead to the sticky situation with Gromberg. Whether that's true, I, I don't know, but that's something to keep in mind of. Um, for me, I prefer Galand as well. He's my number one choice. Um, Romberg's an exciting candidate. He's my number two. Stevens doesn't get as much love as he should. He did good things with both Philly and LA, and he's been a great assistant coach for Dallas. I wouldn't mind seeing him. I do not want anything with Lafayette. I know a lot of people may like him, but for me, he's a glorified John Hines 
the system he runs. And Heinz has done better in Nashville, so I don't know what that tells you. But Corey, anything you have to say about the coaches? Ooh, yeah. I'm, you you finishing with that? I have something to contradict that completely. <laughs> so my uh, my choices are Laviolette and Gallant. Um, I'll start with Gallant just because of what he did in Vegas in their very first year. I mean, he basically took a band of misfits and turned them into a, a contender. So like that that I think was you know could be a strong suit for the Devils because the fact of was like in a sense we're a bit of a band of misfits right now. We've been unorganized for so many years now with all the changes in both management and coaching and everything. There's been no structure to our team at all so to have a guy who was able to walk into a brand new franchise put piece together all these players that came from all different organizations and turn them into a stanley cup contender kind of says something and i think like we could use a coach like that behind the bench um uh, but going back to La Violette, um, my reason behind La Violette is just because of the guy's track record. Yeah, he may not have the most favorable system for everybody, but the fact of the matter is, is the guy has taken four of the teams that he's coached to the Stanley Cup playoffs, three of them to the finals. He's won a Stanley Cup and a Calder Cup. So the guy knows what he's doing with teams. Um, on top of that, there is there is the relationship between him and P.K. Subban. You know, P.K. Subban was starting to struggle a bit in Montreal towards the end. He goes to Nashville, starts off a little rough in Nashville, but then LaViolette ends up, you know, getting him to turn it around. Now, I'm not saying that was LaViolette specificically, but there is a lot of callback to say that him and him and LaViolette work together really, really well. So having a guy with that kind of a track record and someone who has a history with some of the players already on the bench, it could work out. That's that's why I went with those two. Um, I'm not super familiar with um, the other two that you mentioned. I actually just found two articles on them today that I started reading. I've been hanging on the, the LaViolette coattails, though, for probably since you know Heinz was fired <laughs> yeah no um well you make sense Laviolette that's a great argument my thing is I'll just say it one more time before we move on is the system the Devils made a mistake with Heinz trying to fit a like a coaching philosophy that didn't fit with the roster and I'm afraid that Laviolette's philosophy is too similar to Heinz and that just wouldn't be a mistake but different opinions you know yeah you never know yep. what could happen oh with Gallant too we was that we didn't mention this? Glantz never coached a team to an under 500 record. No, he was impressive in Florida. I don't know why they got rid of him in the first place. Yeah, and then I said the same thing with Vegas. <laughs> in my opinion, he was wrongly fired in both places, Florida yeah. and Vegas. I was surprised. And even Glantz said there was a report where he was like, he's told he's fired. And he's like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, why? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I, his devil's, it would be very hard for the Devils to screw this up. But um, all right, we'll move on to the GM. Not much news here. It seems like Fitzgerald's going to be the guy. I'd be very surprised if he wasn't. He did a great job when he took over. The only GM I've heard through reports that have been rumored here is Mike Gillis, which is the assistant GM in Toronto. Very analytic guy, which is great, given the devil's philosophy seemingly towards analytics with their analytical department for me and what we've discussed in our chat before is having Gillis come on as like a hockey VP type deal and retaining Fitzgerald as well. Let, um, let Gillis deal with the analytic size. Let's Fitzgerald do all that other stuff. I think that would work perfectly. But for me, the GM it's Tom Fitzgerald, I would be very surprised if he's not there guys. What do you have to say about this? 
Um, I think that Fitzgerald for me has always been the guy. I've heard the rumors on Gillis, um, but there's there's more reasons to why I think Fitzgerald should be the guy. Um, we've already talked about all the moves he made, including at the deadline and stuff. All the the, the way he set the Devils up for future success. Um, he's he's shown that he will make the unpopular decision with the fan base in order to do something for the betterment of the team and the organization. We saw that with Coleman. Yep, that was a great trade. Yeah, you know, <laughs> tore fans apart, but I gotta admit that was the right move to make, um, especially with what he got back. And and James, you you could probably fact check me on this. He's he was the general manager of Binghamton and still was once he became GM of New Jersey, right? Yeah, he he was the guy yes. that did. He was the the title, the general manager of the Binghamton Devils. Yeah. So in my opinion, he, you want a guy who's your general manager who knows everything about your players, what you got not just at the top level, but your prospects, how they're developing. It, there's no guy that you would interview right now who knows that better than him, especially going into a draft. I mean, that that part is why I'm focused on that. Yeah, and given he also has dealt with all the head coaching, he's done all the interviews. I yeah. mean, it seems like it's just a matter of time before they remove that tag off of him. But Corey, what do you have to say here? Jeez, <laughs> um, I honestly, this is this one I've been on the fence about for a while, but I, I think that personally, keep Fitzgerald for sure. Like I think one, in my opinion, keep him. But I already know that the Devils are. They already know they're going to keep him. I mean, they've got him already conducting interviews for new coaching and everything like that. Like if you weren't planning on keeping your GM, why would you have him conducting those interviews? So it's like it's already kind of like it's it's already kind of stamped in that he's he's going to be around to stay. Um, and I'm not against it. I like you said. I mean the. Blake Coleman trade was fantastic, you know. The fact that he is willing to make those types of trades, he is willing to work against, you know, the popular fan opinion. It, it shows, you know, he's he's going to be a good GM going forward. We hope, you know, but I, I think, you know, what he started out with so far has been has been good and promising, and and just hope going forward he continues to do the same thing. <laughs> one, one more thing I'll add to it too. He's a very well respected front office ex- executive, general manager yeah. around the league with all teams yep. and front offices. I guarantee if he was not yeah. working for us anymore, two it's weeks tops, two weeks tops until he has another job with another team. Yep. Great point. So he, right. he actually, he, he actually served as, um, as the GM for the Albany Devils before they relocated to Binghamton as well. And I mean, he was actually one of the only ones who like really showed a lot of sincerity to the Albany fans in the relocation process. <laughs> so like, I, that's one of the reasons why like, I, I like Fitzgerald a lot is because like he, one, he's a great GM. He's making good moves, but he does seem to make, try to make a connection with the community of where the team goes and wherever it is. So he's, it's good all around to have in the organization. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, good stuff, guys. All right, we'll move into the next part. My little segment on a couple prospects we have to discuss today. Draft's closing in. No idea when it's going to be, unfortunately, but it'll be here soon. A huge draft. One of the bigger drafts, I think, in Devil's history with the three first-round picks. They most likely will have, of course, this could change with the conditions. I'm going to run through three prospects today real quick, give you guys some background, my opinion on these guys. I'm going to start with Quinton Byfield. He's the it seems consensus second overall pick. Um, he he's praised for his size. He's a six foot four, two hundred fifteen pound centerman, and he's only seventeen years old, which is crazy size for a seventeen year old. Yeah, OHL in his draft minus one season, which is not this season, the year before, sixty one points. He wasn't a point per game player. I think he was sixty one points in sixty four games. 
other prospects in comparison for draft minus one season. It's good, but I'll, some other prospects have more point per game. Like I'm pretty sure Cole Perfetti or Marco Rossi was a higher than a point per game player in his draft minus one season. But once again, keep in mind this kid's only 17 year old. Um, his 1.82 points per game ranked fifth in the OHL this season. Great production this year. He lit it up. Um, he played for the Sudbury Wolves. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that team in the OHL. As for his abilities, he relies on his skating. His skating is absolutely terrific for someone that's six foot four. Gets up and down the ice with ease. His strides great. He's very big strides with his size. In terms of what kind of player he is, he's a great playmaker, but he's more of a goal scorer in my opinion which is great, but that wasn't a goal scorer. That'd fit perfect. Stuff he needs to work on. He needs to be more physical for his size. Watching him play, he's got great size, but he doesn't really use it sometimes. His defensive game is fine, but needs a bit of work. I know this was a quick little uh, profile on Byfield. You could look. I wrote an article a while back on him, a more in-depth article. But for me, I think he's a tad overrated, and I think this mainly has to do with his size. We see a lot of prospects praised or probably taken too early based off, oh, they have great size, so they're going to translate well. I don't think this is always the case. Byfield's going to be a great player. Don't get me wrong. He's rightfully probably going to be taken second overall. For sure. In my rankings, I have Tim Stutzel, which we'll talk about in the coming episodes. Uh, one of them. I currently have Stutzel ranked in second and Byfield third. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think this is crazy. I think Stutz is a little more of a complete player than Byfield. But like I said, Byfield's probably going to be second person taken off. Yeah, he seems to be ranked number two across the board. Yeah, he's he's a terrific player. Someone's going to get a great player. If the Devils are lucky enough to win the lottery, he'd be a great pick at two. Um, I I don't think this will happen, but Byfield's a great prospect. He's awesome. His size is great. Mm -hmm. We're going to move on to Seth Jarvis. A lot of people may not have heard of him. He's being projected as a mid-first-round pick. He's a winger in the WHL, which is an extremely defensive league out of the three leagues in the Canadian um, Canadian Hockey League. WHL is by far the most defensive. He plays for the Portland Winterhawks. His draft minus one season wasn't all that impressive. He didn't play a lot of minutes, though. He only had 39 points in 61 games, which is fine with the minutes he was given but in the draft minus one season you want to see him a little more production especially given his age this year was tremendous he absolutely lit it up he had 98 points in only 58 games plus minus i don't know how much you want to look into this but he was a plus 53 which is kind of crazy his point total was the second most in the whl and in comparison to the likes of leon dreisaitl and ryan nugent hopkins as well as evander kane in their draft seasons Seth Jarvis put up more points and had a higher point per game, just to put it in perspective. His skills, his skating is terrific. He's an elite playmaker, and he also could score too. He knows how to put the puck in the back of the net. Some stuff he needs to work on is his top speed and strength. He is a little on the smaller side. I believe he's listed, listed as 5'10", <clears throat> so he could work on his frame a little bit. Um, he's one of my favorite prospects in the whole entire draft i've written i believe 25 draft profiles now and he's usually one of my favorites i've came across he's a sneaky guy and i think he could sneak close to the top 10 i don't know if he'll break it right now i have him 11th on my list um which is like i said higher than most i wouldn't be opposed to see the devil snag him near the top of the like 11th 12th area depending who's on the board all depends where this coyotes pick is 
Yeah. I'll move into my last prospect, Dylan Holloway. Holloway was, to put it lightly, disappointing this season. He's a mature 18-year-old with great size and strength. He's the only prospect out of all the draft eligible this year that played in the NCAA. He played at the University of Wisconsin alongside the likes of Cole Caulfield, Keandre Miller, and Alex Turcott. Hmm. Wisconsin had very hefty expectations of the Big Ten this year. Um, they were even national championship uh, national championship contenders coming into the season preseason. And to put it lightly, Wisconsin sucked this year. They hmm. went, I think, like nine seventeen and something. They were last in the Big Ten. Holloway struggled on this team. He only had eight goals and nine assists in 35 games and had a minus three rating. You may ask why he's a first-round prospect, and it's because in before he came over to the NCAA, he played in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, and he was terrific in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. He lit it up scoring. For me, the strength of his game is his matureness. Very strong player, likes to use his body, shielding the puck, wins. Buck battles along the boards. He's a very reliable defensive guy. Um, he's great in his own end. He'll be a penalty killer at the next level. He's also a smart individual that helps with his defensive game, makes it why it's so good. Weaknesses and the reason why I'm not a big fan of his and I'm lower on him than most is his offensive ceiling is only so much. I don't see him developing his offensive game too much. An NHL comparison I could give is someone like a Wayne Simmons or Patty Maroon, someone that's going to sit in front of the net on the power play and score those in close Get to goals. the dirty areas, yeah. Yeah, but I don't think he's going to bring the scoring that Maroon and Simmons does because I don't think, his, like I said, his offensive upsides are there. Right gotcha. now, I'm 17th in my rankings. And like I said, I'm lower on him than most. But Yeah, this is a segment I'm going to do each podcast, uh, talk about three prospects that I've looked into. I've already released articles on all these guys, and that'll be the case with all the prospects I talk about. It's just that these articles were released probably like a couple weeks ago, and my mind's might have changed on some of these guys, and I I feel like it's just a good way to reiterate and get a little prospect talk in the podcast. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's it for me with this segment so we'll move on and chris is going to talk briefly on covid impact on hockey specifically with the recent news of cam talbot so go ahead chris yeah so i was uh, really when it comes to the covid impact on hockey um i was just going to talk about a little bit of some college hockey um for those of you who haven't seen there was a, a ncaa program hockey program that was recently uh cut because of the funding uh which is you know understandable everyone's looking through funding for for everything right now it, it was for the university of alabama huntsville chargers they are a ncaa team in alabama they are also i believe it's them and arizona state university are the two most southern teams that are in the NCAA for hockey and there's a lot of very strict requirements for NCAA uh, in terms of like how you can be an eligible team so that's why a lot of other teams and schools will play in the uh, ACHA that's another league it's not the same but yeah that's a basic difference right there but basically this program's been around for a long time started to get cut because of funding it's been saved before there was a, an attempt to kind of cut the program, I believe, around 2011, 2012, and the fans and everything, uh, they were able to save it then. They started a GoFundMe and a petition, you know, for this time around, which had about 6,000 signatures when I f- first saw it and we were looking into this, and it was prepared to be a, a sad story. 
but then, you know, later on in the week, before we even recorded this, Cam Talbot, who, who gets the ultimate shout-out, just, just comes in and saves a hockey program in the NCAA. Yeah, they've, awesome. they've raised, uh, I think, a little under $540,000, which I think uh, UAH said they'll keep the program if they can raise 500000 Talbot was basically a spokesperson for it. He he got a lot of former players to contribute. Even Brian Burke contributed, who, for those of you who don't know who he is, he's a, a ex-front uh, office uh, person. He's worked for different teams. He's a, he's a very good guy to listen to when it comes to talking about hockey. Um, and even Patrick Kane sent out a tweet about uh, the hockey community getting behind Alabama Huntsville hockey uh, to support it, which, I mean, Patrick Kane, there's not really many bigger names in the NHL. And I just wanted to, to touch on this story because we all love hockey. We all want to see the game grow. And I just wanted to give Cam Talbot that shout-out for, for saving a hockey program because that's, that's huge. No, that's honestly terrific, and I saw that. And in a time we're living in right now with a lot going on and not necessarily good things, it's great to see something good come out out of the times we're in now, and especially given it's related to hockey. But well, uh, well done, the Cam Talbot. Great yep. to see, and I appreciate you bringing that up, Chris. That was great. But that's it for this episode. Um, I want to thank all of our first time listeners for tuning in, giving us a listen. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Don't be afraid to let us know what you want to see. If you want to see anything done differently, Chris now will tell you where you could find next week's episodes, the June 8th podcast and all that good stuff. So go ahead, Chris. Yeah. So as of right now, we're set up through uh, Spotify uh, for sure. We're working on Apple and Google uh, for their podcast systems as well. Um, you can also see it on our website. We'll be putting in uh, links to it on Facebook and Twitter as well. So keep, just keep an eye out on those places. Uh, we'll let you know once we're, we're on the Apple and Google side of things. But right now, it's just Spotify and our website and the social media that you're going to find us. All right. Great, Chris. Thanks for that. And uh, like I said, we're closing out now. Appreciate everyone tuning in for episode one. We'll be back with episode two next week on June 8th. Um, everyone, be safe out there. Good vibes to everyone. You guys have anything else to say before we head off, boys? Let's go Devils, baby. No. Yep, yep, yep. All right, boys. Catch you guys later. Thanks again.